Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Chapter 3. The Dursleys Departing. The sound of the front door slamming echoed up the stairs, and a voice yelled, Oi! You. Sixteen years of being addressed thus left Harry in no doubt whom his uncle was calling. Nevertheless, he did not immediately respond. Oi, I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And oi, I'm Casper Tech Kyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, before we jump into the veggie meat of the chapter, <laughs> I want to make sure that we thank our incredible patrons. Yes. Lexi Koyan, Melissa Job. Marianne Epstein, Susan Barkas, and Monica Donovan. Thank you so, so much. And to everyone who supports us on Patreon, it makes all the difference. We're so grateful. We also want to shout out my local Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group in Brooklyn, New York, known as The Outer Borough. I love it. It's run by Abby Greenbaum. And if you want to join them or any other local group, you can head to harrypottersacredtext.com and click on local groups. 
Caspar, it is your turn to tell a story on the theme of growth. What have you got for us today? So when Sean and I moved to New York, we were very lucky enough to find an apartment that's on the ground floor of an apartment building. And we have a little side door that opens into an alleyway where for two hours a day, there's some sunshine. (laughs) You get a beautiful view of the sky. (laughs) And we're extremely grateful for it because it's always good to have a place to go when you don't want to be around the person that you love all the time. And Sean was very smart to think about, well, what can we plant there? He's a garden designer, so he knows lots about plants. And so he bought these two kind of planters, filled it with soil and added bulbs and seeds and all sorts of wonderful things. And I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, lovely idea, lovely idea. Little did I know that now during COVID, when time seems to kind of go from an hour into a month and a week into a day, and like, I don't even know what day it is, it's been so helpful to look at these planters through our little glass door and to see these bulbs grow from kind of nothing hidden under the soil into these green shoots And then over the last few weeks, start to blossom, particularly these late blooming, fabulous trumpet daffodils, which have these white leaves and this bright orange centers. And they started to pop up just one the first day and then more and then more. And now there's like this chorus of 12 or 13 really bright daffodils. And, you know, I've struggled during these last few weeks. I think so many of us have. And it's been a really healthy reminder that even though I'm not doing anything, even though I'm not making anything happen, they are still growing and that time is passing and that spring is coming. And I don't know, that's just been a really helpful image for me over the last few weeks to know that I don't necessarily have to do something to make beauty like these daffodils grow. I think we see exactly that in this chapter, right? Harry says about Dudley that they really haven't seen each other since this incident with the Dementors two years ago. And yet Dudley has clearly been growing because he's presenting himself as a pretty different person. And I also think that my plants have never meant so much to me as they do Hmm. in the middle of the coronavirus. I started an (laughs) herb garden. There's just something very meaningful about relationships with things that are growing and things that we have some control over, but also that like nature just takes over. Right. And that's really important, Vanessa, because, you know, it's not like it all happens by itself, right? Like, it's an interesting mix. I wonder how that shows up in the chapter as we read it. Well, why don't we talk about what happens in the chapter? Yes, indeed. Let me count you in for your 30 second recap of chapter three of book seven. (gasps) I still can't believe we're in book seven. Okay, 30 seconds on the clock. Here we go. Three, two, one. So the Dursleys are leaving because they are under threat from Voldemort and Harry is about to turn 17. And so two members of the order come to take um, the Dursleys away. And Vernon is like, I'm not going. Yes, I am going. I don't understand why we can't have Kingsley. And then Dudley and Harry have like sort of a very sweet moment. And the members of the order are like, I can't believe how awful you are. And Petunia thinks that maybe she's going to say something nice to Harry. And then at the very end realizes that she can't get herself to do it. And the Dursleys leave. Oh, that ending is so beautiful and intense. I know it really is. Okay. Are you ready to Kyle? Yes. On your mark, get set, go. 
Yeah, Vernon has a total man crush on Kingsley. Um, he's like, I've seen you on, I've seen him on the TV and with the Prime Minister, and that's great. Um, and Vernon keeps changing his mind like many, many times over and over again between should we stay, should we go? Um, and you know, he's both afraid, but also he's then afraid that Harry is somehow gonna like inherit the house and defraud him. Um, so then doesn't want to go, but then he does want to go. And Dudley is really the one who makes this kind of bold step of saying, like, I believe him, right? Like that are there more dementors? Oh my gosh, we've got to go. And then off they go with Diggles and Horatio. No, Hermia and Toodles. Hestia, who was the goddess of the hearth. So Casper, the big question of this chapter is obviously, does Dudley absolve himself? Over the last several years, we've had conversations with people about these books. I have felt a lot of resistance from people that Dudley does not go far enough. And then Hestia even says it in the book. Like, all he said is Harry is not a waste of space. Like, that is not a huge thing. And I'm wondering what you make of this clear growth. He has left tea out for Harry. He is standing up to his parents in a different way than we've ever seen. What do you make of it? I'm with you. I think what he does is extraordinary. Like, his father in particular is so overbearing and is so, I mean, violent, right? Like we've seen that. And so for him to make this stand in front of his dad, especially, but in front of both of his parents, it's such a bold assertion of his sense of right and wrong. And in front of Harry to say like, no, I trust you. And he's he doesn't say, I'm sorry, but he's shown that he's sorry. I mean, again, like this is the chapter where Harry understands that maybe the teacup wasn't a booby trap. And I, I think that's Dudley's language and I do want to say that him saying, I don't think you're a waste of space. I know he's only just inverting what Harry has kind of jokingly said that he thinks. But it's, I don't know, there is something really powerful about it. It's a direct assertion that that is not true. Which in some ways it could have been much easier to say something like, well, you know, I think you're actually pretty great. I don't know, there's something really direct about that yeah. counter. You know what I mean? That feels very strong. Totally. Of like, I don't think that actually, right? Right. And I, I think the moment that's actually the most touching to me and to me shows how far Dudley has grown is Dudley's acute concern about Harry. It's not just, I believe Harry, mm. we should go. It's, but what about Harry? Why isn't he coming with us? Yeah. Which to me shows Actually, two things. One is that concern, but two is that he sees Harry as his family. He's like, where we go, he comes yeah. with us. I got really emotional. And again, it's not much and it's not enough, but it's a lot for a 17-year-old kid who has had none of this modeled for him. <laughs> and it's so special to me to see Dudley as he's becoming an adult choose to keep growing and to be something different than his parents. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's how change happens. And I think Dudley is showing us that in a really small but beautiful way. Well, the other thing that makes me think about this is that Harry's been away at boarding school, right? He's been at Hogwarts, but so has Dudley. Dudley has been away from his family for a lot of time. And so his experience of being home is Christmas holidays, Easter holidays, and the summer. And throughout most of that time, which is the summer, Harry is there too. And so his experience of Privet Drive includes Harry. So it makes sense that he's thinking of Harry as his family. 
And it also makes me wonder, well, who has been teaching him to think differently? You know, maybe Harry's experience in Hogwarts is paralleled for Dudley, right? Maybe he has two best friends. Maybe he has an inspiring headmistress or headmaster or head teacher who's showing him a different way. And I've never seen that in Dudley before, but it's possible. Yeah, that would be fun to read. Most likely a much slimmer set of books. <laughs> I mean, there wouldn't be as much need for the world building. Right. Duddykins and uh, biology lessons after lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to read that. I don't know. I I guess I also just suddenly saw there's a line where Harry, you know, is reflecting like, God, this is awkward. I might not ever see any of these people again. And right. I was like, oh, I hope he does Christmas with Dudley and Dudley's kids. I hope oh, that wow. like they do reconnect. I hope that Harry never sees Petunia and Vernon again if he doesn't want to. But I hope that he and Dudley do have a relationship. I'm curious about Petunia because this speech between Dudley and Harry builds this bridge. At the very end of the chapter, we see Petunia unable to do that, right? Vernon's just being his usual self, like, oh, you know, ridiculous and you lot and all of this kind of stuff. You know, there's plenty of words from him that maintain this derogatory attitude to Harry and to the wizarding world in general. What do you make of Petunia's silence? What is it that she wants to say but can't bring herself to say out loud? Wait, Casper, can we actually hold off on Petunia for a minute? Because I disagree about Vernon. Really? I do think Vernon has grown, like, not sufficiently. <laughs> he is not a beautiful daffodil, but yeah. <laughs> nor is he a mere bulb. But is it because he's really grown or is he just, you know, he's afraid and so he's navigating his behavior to, like, not incur the wrath of a, you know, murderous dark lord? I guess all I can say is that he's different. The last time the Wizarding World encroached on his life, he completely lost control of himself. Like Dudley says, yeah. Daddy's gone mad, hasn't he? Like he boards up his walls. He escapes to an island with ammunition. I guess I just think if he hadn't grown at all, there's a version of Vernon that's like armed himself and says, I am my own militia here. You cannot separate me from my house. He's so decided in book one when the Wizarding World encroaches. And now he's at least flip-flopping. He's at least like chilled out a little bit about it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he still says things like, oh, it's all a load of claptrap, right? Like we're still seeing some of that old Vernon, but we're also seeing a different Vernon. So I think it's really embodied in his constant changing of the decision whether to stay or go. I, I feel like, you know, it's not like he's grown into a place where he's living a you know, with a different perspective, but it's this vacillation between it's all hogwash, it's all hogwash, plus please give me your protection. I don't know what to make sense of this, but I guess I'll have to trust you kind of thing. And I think that Vernon has completely stagnated on the not seeing Harry as a waste of space and treating him with any sort of dignity. I mean, the fact that he's still yelling, oi, boy, right? Like, it's just like so dismissive yeah. and horrible. But I guess I just think that just because people haven't grown in the ways that we want them to doesn't mean that they haven't grown. Hmm. It's insufficient, right? Yes. But he has grown. So what do we make of Petunia then? Is it that she has grown more, but not enough to kind of really verbalize that? Is it that she feels the same sense of being pulled in many directions and 
unlike Vernon, who's maybe like an external processor, she's more of like an internal processor. What does that silent look at the end mean to you? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about blessing her for it, for like not quite finding the courage to do the right thing. Hmm. I've done that, like wanted to say the nice thing. Me too. And decided not to. It's heartbreaking. I feel terrible for her. I don't think that she's hurt Harry any further in this moment because I don't think he expects anything good from her. But I, I really do think she's hurt herself here. She had a real opportunity here. Her son had modeled a way for her yeah. and had sort of like opened up the gate and she sees it and she looks at the open gate and doesn't walk through. The other thing that strikes me about Petunia is that I just can't help compare her at the beginning of book seven with Narcissa at the end of book seven. They're both these villainous characters. They're both mothers who want to protect their children. You know, I think both of them are also sisters. Like, you know, their siblings play such an important role in directing their life or what they don't want to be. And we see them do something that's very out of character, right? For Narcissa, of course, to a much more extreme degree. So I'm I'm just seeing this comparison there. And there's something interesting here about giving more dimensionality to these characters. I mean, that's what I've always loved about these books is you can say there's goodies and baddies, right? But there's so much more in all of these characters. And and this is one of my favorite Petunia moments because we just see her internal struggle and that she ultimately makes a decision that I hope I wouldn't make again, but it makes her human to me. Yeah, this is definitely Petunia's last chance, Mm. right? This is the last moment we'll see her and it's her last chance for any absolution. And again, I just think there's this moment where she stares directly at it and says, no, I'm not going to take it. If I could ask her anything, I would ask like, why not? What did you gain from not saying to Harry, I should have done better by you, or Mm. I miss your mom too, or good luck, anything. It's just... The hurdle is so low, right? (laughs) Like she could crawl over it. (laughs) And I do wonder if part of it is shame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you do that, then the story that you've been telling yourself this whole time that he came in and ruined your life and you've actually done right by him, even though you never wanted to. And he's just the product of that gross man that your sister married, like completely disappears if you let yourself say anything kind. Oh, Vanessa, that makes so much sense to me. And I think shame is exactly the pinpoint of that problem. And one of the reasons why Dudley maybe is able to do something that his parents can't, especially Petunia, is that first of all, he's much younger. And so there's much less of a set of choices that have been embedded. And of course, so many of those choices were not really his own. He was raised with them. And for Petunia, it's very different. Like this has been a core commitment of her adult life. So I think that's one of the reasons why we see that difference. But, you know, I think she might also be looking at Harry and seeing you know, if I am honest with myself about what I have done, then I can't go and get in the car with Vernon. I I think that's the choice she's seeing as she's looking at Harry. She's like, you're disappearing today and I've got my rest of my life to live with this man. And so I think that's also shifting her sense of like, do I want that to end? Because I can leave this building and everything ends, or I have to live with this and live with the shame that the way I have acted, but be with Vernon. I mean, at the end, right, like we are victims of many things. We are victims of circumstance. We are victims of socioeconomics, but also we are the victims of our own choices. Mm -hmm. And I think that we just really see that with Petunia here. Mm. 
Where else in the chapter, Vanessa, do you see this theme of growth? What's interesting to me about growth is when we think about it on an individual level, right? We think of it as like requiring a little bit of agency. Like, oh, I chose to take a class at the rec center and like now (laughs) I know some Italian and I've made some friends. (laughs) We see it as sort of a choice that you make to grow. But I think that the other thing that happens, right, are things happen to us and we grow because of them. And sometimes they're really horrible things, right? Like divorces cause us to grow a lot or, you know, those sleepless few months of having a baby. A lot of difficult things can make us grow. It's a question that I think I'm carrying with me right now because, I mean, something that we're all asking ourselves as we're on quarantine is what is the world going to be that we go back into? And then I think it's also like, what is this world going to be in 20 years? And so I think that Vernon has been confronted with that, right? He's like, you're asking me to give up my job. You're asking me to give up my house for things that I don't quite understand. And I would love to know if this is actually the thing that helps Vernon grow. He was so proud of that lawn and that car (laughs) and that, right? In 10 miles, they're going to have to give up the car. Yeah. There's something in his constant changing of his mind that feels very realistic right now. I mean, it's so difficult to plan for anything, you know, either it's in the next two weeks or it's in two years time, like anything in between feels like impossible to, to make a decision around. And it made me think about the role that commitment plays in growth, because it's very tempting to think about growth as this very simple linear process, right? You put X in, you get Y out day by day. But if you're thinking about learning a new skill, you know, let's say you're learning to play the drums or the violin or a language, like you said, very often, at least my experience has been, is that it's kind of like quantum, like you won't see progress for ages. And then suddenly, you know, you snap your fingers and it feels different, or you're able to do something different, or your fingers have stretched that they can play new chords. And you have to stick with things during that plateau time in order to get to that sudden leap moment. And I'm finding that commitment is really hard to do when so much of the world around us is so unsure, whether it's you know trying to meditate every day or exercising or, you know, whatever it is. So I've just been thinking about the role that commitment plays as well. And that, you know, that's hard for Vernon. I'm also just thinking about the very first time that we did a really close look at Vernon. You know, we... We looked at him through the theme of fear. Mm. And you said, you know, the question is, where is this within us? Mm. And I think that that is still the question, right? Where is this Dursley-ishness within us? When Mm. are we choosing not to grow in the face of great change and challenge? And when Mm. are we unable to stand up and like say the hard thing? I felt indicted by this chapter, reading it in this Mm. moment. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. 
I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. I mean, it's so funny you say that because I always feel that way whenever we read Slughorn. And as I was reading this chapter, I kept thinking about the parallel between Vernon and Slughorn and that they're both afraid, right? Especially when we first meet Slughorn, right? He's hiding, he's trying to avoid. And Vernon's kind of doing the same thing in a different way. I love seeing ourselves into these characters because I think sometimes it's helpful to name what we feel by looking at what the character is feeling. Casper, before we wrap up, is there anywhere else that you saw this theme of growth? Yeah, I <laughs> I could feel the tension, right? We The text tells us that there's this awkwardness in the air. Like, what do you say to someone after you've disliked them for 16 years? And it, it did make me think about when you grow, I mean, it's beautiful, right? Like you, maybe you have new capacities, maybe you have new friendships, whatever. But it also means leaving something behind. And I'm thinking about times when maybe there's been a really important person in your life, a teacher or a mentor or, or, or someone that's really helped you grow. And there comes a point where that relationship, it's no longer helping you grow, right? It's helped you achieve what you wanted to or, or what you were growing into. And then it's kind of complete. It, it's finished. And what do you say? That's something I still find hard. And I obviously that's a rosier version of what's happening in the scene here. But what do you say after 16 years, right? When, when the protection of their familial status has been fulfilled, that felt very, very true. Oh, totally. And I'm that complete jerk who'd be like thanks for nothing bye (laughs) like I still get teased because I didn't go down for my brother's college graduation because he graduated 
a semester early, so like there wasn't a ceremony. And I famously in our family said to one of his roommates, well, have a nice life. Because I was like, I'm never going to see this guy again. (laughs) So, yeah, the closest thing I've gotten to growing as far as like handling those moments well is now now I stay silent. (laughs) I internally say have a nice life, but I've learned not to say it out loud. Gross. Maybe that's exactly what Petunia is doing. (laughs) She just wants to say have a nice life. Vanessa, our spiritual practice continues with marginalia. And just as last week, we're going to look at pieces of text that we've underlined. So it might be individual words, it might be longer snippets. So I'm going to ask you first, what's something that you underlined in this week's reading? So there were two related things that I underlined. One was they looked at Dudley as though he had just expressed a desire to become a ballerina. Hmm. And then it was... And Petunia clutched Dudley as if he had just saved Harry from a burning building. Would you remind me of the ballerina moment? I can't remember at all where this shows up. It's right after Dudley says, why isn't he coming with us? And then Mm. it's Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia froze where they stood staring at Dudley as though he had just expressed a desire to become a ballerina. And Vanessa, help me know, why did you underline these things? First of all, I think that Dudley might be a great ballerina, right? He's like strong, fit, who knows? Totally. But it's also that it's about them thinking that if he revealed himself to be queer, right? Oh, interesting. And they don't tell us exactly what that face is, I guess, is the other thing that interests me about it. So are they looking at him with surprise? Like, oh, ballerina, I never thought. Or are they looking at him with disgust of like, but you are such masculine son wants to be something femme. Right. So I in part think it's interesting that we don't, it's not more specific, right? Like Mm. we know what the second one means. We know she's looking at him with pride and like he's a hero that he just ran into a burning building. (laughs) But like, what is the look that you would give someone if they came out and said, I want to be a ballerina? Like, if you told me, I'd be like, you're probably a little old. (laughs) I feel like most ballet careers start younger. (laughs) If you were like, I'm quitting my job and trying to join the Joffrey, I'd be like, wow, there's a lot I didn't know about you or you're making a bad choice. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. And I think to some extent, I'm thinking about his school again, right? Like, who knows what extracurricular activities he's been getting into, right? Like, more than anything, I think I'm realizing as little as we know about Dudley, I think Vernon and Petunia know as little about him as an individual, right? As a young man who's being shaped by interests and passions. And how sad that is, right? How sad that there's that lack of knowing. That's really interesting. I guess I just think it's interesting that maybe we're supposed to think that they're looking at him with some disgust because he's revealed himself to be more sensitive than they thought he was. And I don't know, like as much as they love Dudley, I wonder how quickly they would flip on him, right? Is he Mm. someone who thinks he's loved, but like he could come out of the closet and they'd be like, then you're not our son. We see the possibility of that in this moment, that all of their love is entirely conditional. Oh, that's a really beautiful reading. It's a really depressing reading. What about you, Casper? What did you underline? 
So, you know, I'm always obsessed with looking at color and we get a rich description of Vernon, who's always been associated with color, right? If we think back to those early chapters of book one, right, he sees all of these wizards in their purple robes and all of that stuff. So this is what we get in this chapter. Black mustache rippled, his face still purple with concentration. So I, I went for those words, black and purple. Honestly, mostly because I was like, oh, there's colors. <laughs> and I, I wanted to pay more attention to them. But the thing I'm interested in is how black and purple together, like what are the times when I see black and purple together? And I'm thinking of blackberries. I'm thinking of going out into the late summer, picking blackberries in the hedgerows kind of between the fields near where I grew up in Sussex. And just that kind of like the sweetness of a, of a of a ripe blackberry, but the difficulty of getting there between all the thorns of the bushes and, and the disappointment when it's mistimed, right? When it's not sweet, it's really not good, but the total deliciousness of when it is. But of course, in the context of the text, he's purple with concentration, which doesn't suggest pleasure, right? It suggests effort and intensity. And his black mustache rippled. I don't know, that suggests more like kind of scariness and, and it's potentially violent, right? Like something is going to happen. So yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with my marginalia, but that's what I picked up on this time. Well, I also think black and purple together, it makes me think of bruises. Oh. The way that like blood pools in a place of injury. Yeah. And there's something like black and blue is like you're being beaten to a pulp, but black and purple suggests that kind of lingering, right, exactly as you said, like a black eye that kind of, that, that just hangs there. And to some extent, maybe what I'm thinking of now is the way in which we don't get to see much of this, but the way in which Harry was treated for all of these years, especially those first 10, you know, 11 years of his life, that that does stay. You can't just wish that away. And, and to some extent, those scars or those bruises don't always disappear in the end. Yeah. The final place I just want to point to, Vanessa, is actually on the very first page of this chapter, where Harry is described as having his hands deep in his jeans pockets. And this is a small point, but I just, it's so evocative for me to see like a 17 year old teenager, like kind of with his hands deep in his jeans pockets, right? Like, of course it's representative of him being in his own world, but it's also a little bit of like, oh, don't want it, right? Like he hears voices downstairs, Vernon's shouting, boy, and and he's taking his time, right? He's doing doing that good old teenage thing of like, no, oh, don't want it. Um, you don't control me. Yeah, you're not in charge of me. <laughs> yeah. And I love it because even amidst all of this complexity and danger and gosh, sadness of what's coming, like there's, there's still just a little bit of a normal teenager right, right here on this page. <laughs> this week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. 
Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So it's time for our voicemail, and this week we're going to hear from Katie. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana, and everyone who works on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which is my hands-down favorite podcast out there. All of my friends say that I'm the biggest Harry Potter fan they've ever met, and I definitely take that as a huge compliment. I'm about to finish season six of The Sacred Text, and I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say about The Deathly Hallows, which is one of my favorite books in the series. So, um... This morning, I found out that a close friend of mine passed away, and I was in total shock. I'm 20 years old in college, and she was only a year ahead of me, and I'm absolutely devastated. I'm still in shock. I've been extremely fortunate in my lifetime to not have to experience losing anyone I love until now. I don't really know how to cope with it or anything, but mostly just been crying all day. But um, this made me think of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows especially because, as you know, we lose a lot of major characters in this book. And some of them, like Colin Creevy and Fred Weasley, are even younger than my friend who passed away. I remember reading this book for the first time when I was little, and I could never imagine someone dying that young. I know a lot of people are losing loved ones now during this pandemic, but it's mostly been elderly people, not young students in their 20s. Um, I can't stop thinking about how much more she had to do in this life. So I'd like to give a blessing to everyone who's losing loved ones during this time. It feels even worse than people losing people during the Battle of Hogwarts. And I'd like to give a blessing to my friend Honor and Honor's family. I miss her so much. And thank you so much for listening and thanks for doing this podcast, guys. It really brightens my day. <laughs> Okay, bye. Katie, I'm so sorry to hear of your loss and um, for everyone who knew and loved Honor in the way that you did. It's overwhelming at the moment, you know, to look at the the extra long obituaries and to hear about everyone who's passed away because of this terrifying virus. You know, crying all day or randomly is exactly what it's going to be like for a while. And Grieving looks different for everyone. And so you might be surprised at, you know, some days you'll feel really fine and just be remembering happy times. And then some days, you know, it'll all come crashing down on you again, like a, you know, like a waterfall. So I hope you'll be gentle with yourself and and give yourself the time, time to grieve. I'm just so sorry. 
I'm so sorry. So, Casper, it's now time for us to offer a blessing to somebody else following Katie's beautiful blessing. Who would you like to offer a blessing for? We've talked a lot about Dudley in this chapter, but I, I want to bless him. And very specifically for the moment when he realizes that his experience with those two Dementors in book five, I mean, he literally says the phrase, there are more of them, right? Like he's realizing that that taste he had is just one small part of something much bigger. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like every time I realize the timeline in my brain of how long this shutdown is going to last, of all the different ways in which the virus is changing our everyday reality, every time I extend the period of time to which I have to accustom myself, I feel like I'm having one of those moments of like, there's more time, right? Like, oh wait, it's gonna last until there's a vaccination and it's being distributed. Uh, so I guess... Uh, this blessing is for Dudley and for anyone who's having to like reassess and reassess and and in that moment confront the fear all over again because it's not easy. How about you, love? Who do you want to bless this week? I am going to bless Hestia. Hmm. Hestia gets outraged by the way that the Dursleys treat Harry and specifically calls them out, right? Is like, mm-hmm. Dudley didn't say anything remarkable. He literally just said Harry isn't a waste <laughs> of space. That is an awkward thing to do and like a very difficult family moment to insert yourself into. And I probably would not say anything being like, well, I don't know what's going on here. But I love that Hestia is calling it like she sees it because I think that you are teaching people in those moments. You're teaching Harry that he deserves better and that you know he deserves better and that it's obvious even to someone who doesn't know what's going on that he deserves better. And you're teaching the Dursleys that this is ridiculous. Like that is not a nice thing. This child deserves more from you. And so even though it's none of her business and like it's totally inappropriate, I just love that Hestia is like, I am saying what I see and saying it loud. So I would like to offer a blessing to anyone who does not let a little awkwardness get in the way of some truth telling. Yes, go Hestia. (laughs) You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can join our Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about this episode or join a local group. You're also welcome to come and support us on Patreon or leave us a review on iTunes or send us a voicemail. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 4, The Seven Potters, through the theme of devotion. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. They together make up the team, the Arianas. (laughs) Band names soon to be copyrighted. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Katie for this week's voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks so much, everyone, and we will talk to you next week. Oi is not something that Americans who aren't Jewish say. That is that is true. And even then it's different. It could also be an Australian sort of Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi situation. Uh, but it's not. It's not. I like that <laughs> Brits say, oi. Oi. Oi, love. Where you going? Where are you going? <laughs>